0: Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. In fact, my hope is that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, which provides working parents with support to combine big career dreams with young children, to get access to our free events, to our resources and further options of support sign up on leadersplus.org forward slash newsletter. Today I'm talking to gender pay gap expert Melissa Blissett about what really the root causes of the gender pay gap, why the data sometimes needs a second look, and what you can do about closing that gender pay gap as an employer, but perhaps even for yourself. A very warm welcome, Melissa, to the podcast. Lovely to have a chance to chat to you properly.
1: So I'm Melissa. I am the Pay Gap Analytics Lead at Barnet-Waddingham. So anything to do with gender and ethnicity Pay Gap and the impact of it is what I spend my time doing. He's in my family. I'm divorced. I've got two boys and two cats, bread and tea cake. Don't ask me where these names came from. But hopefully, I think it's useful maybe for your listeners to know that I don't have a big support network around me. I have lots of brilliant friends, but my parents have retired and moved away. I don't have nannies and things. So, I think sometimes you hear people talking about all their wonderful career, et cetera, and you think, well, yes, that's been entirely facilitated (laughs) by all this support network, but I don't have that. So, hopefully, your listeners might find that inspiring and, and helpful to know there are ways to still achieve you're, even if you, you're still if you're standing in situation <laughs> I'm still standing <laughs> and you're
0: in a role that makes a massive massive difference I think yeah your role is absolutely essential because you help people understand what the data really looks like on that gender pay gap and why it's there but actually I'm interested in that can you say something about how you make it work I'm sure it's not an easy thing and it doesn't always it's not always perfect for any of us I guess but What do you do when kids are sick and when the unexpected happens?
1: I mean, I think that it is a very two-way process with the organisation you work for. So I'm lucky enough that we do kind of run a flexible working programme. So whilst I have a set working pattern, what I've always done, even kind of pre-pandemic, even before kind of hybrid working came around, Although I had my – I work three days a week and although I kind of had my set times of working, I split it across four days, I've always worked on the principle that when there is a meeting, outside of that, I still join it. And then I just take time off to compensate for that. So it works for the business because I'm never absent. I'm always there really when I'm needed to be there, I'm always there. And for me, it works because when I've got sports day or. Whatever else is you know it it swings and roundabouts, uh, you know i I think well, that's fair play, I'll adjust my timing as well because I adjust it when you need something, so as long as the hours are done, that's how I work it, and I find that really effective, so being flexible yourself in your hours, if you can achieve that and you're prepared to for me has been really key.
0: Mm, thank you for sharing that. I'm interested to learn a bit more about your own well, your thinking evolving about combining a big career with young children. And I was curious, what did you used to believe about that combination of big hand career and young children that you don't subscribe to
1: anymore? I think more of a problem is what other people believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've always believed that you can still add value as a part-timer and that you can succeed. And I think a key element of that is having the right support around you in the workplace. And I think for me, it's more of a struggle when I see that perfectly clearly. And I've always worked on that assumption, kind of unflinchingly, really. I suppose it's more of an issue when other people don't see that. So, you know, I kind of have always worked really hard, not just. For myself, but from the perspective that I really have an issue that part timers are seen in a certain light, maybe aren't valued as much, put in a box, and I just feel that as a part timer, I need to step up to the mark and demonstrate that it can be done. I can add value. I do do good work, and not just for myself, but from the perspective of hopefully that will mean that you know all part timers. You know, we're all responsible collectively together for changing, I suppose, stereotypes and viewpoints, and just showing that you know it can work, and you are equal, and you can add value.
0: Mm-hmm. You're saying really correlates to what we found in our research. It is quite sad that uh, about forty percent of people who've completed our survey was nearly nine hundred said that they've had comments questioning their commitment. And obviously a lot of the people completing that survey were part-time working parents. And I Mm. think we just, yeah, it's really good that you're challenging that just by who you are and being in this role and um, not giving up.
1: And I think sometimes the problem is, is that those perceptions are hidden under the carpet. People won't disclose how they're feeling and a really interesting conversation that I had. <laughs> I'm laughing so I'm not sure if it was a conversation or more of a lecture that I gave back. But, um, you know, somebody came, approached our gender equality network and said, Look, you know, to be fair, guys, you know, I've just been talking to someone who's come back from maternity leave and they don't really want to be at work and, you know, their hands are full. You know, maybe people just don't want career progression. Are we actually kind of, you know, championing something that isn't there? Well, (laughs) I kind of set the record straight. And Whilst I respect everyone's viewpoint and I entirely respect that somebody might have had that opinion, what I made extremely clear was that that is not everyone's opinion. And certainly for me, if I feel that I'm giving up time that I could be spending on my family, what I do with that time needs to matter, you know, and I want to be rewarded for it. And, you know, I'm not just turning up you know, for the sake of it, I'm sacrificing something as we all are as working women to be there. And I want that to be valuable time. So, what was really great in that opportunity is that person felt that they could say, this is what I'm thinking and this is my evidence base. Is this right? And I think so many people don't have that honesty or boldness to have these conversations with women. And I think actually that's really important because, you know, otherwise, as we all do, you know, I can only base my viewpoints on experiences that I've had, but I've only had limited experiences. So, in the same way as men, might come to these conclusions because of the experiences they've had and they then just extrapolate it. So it's really important, I think, to have the opportunity to discuss these kind of things and almost this myth-busting opportunity, I think, is really important. Mm,
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So with your work around the gender pay gap, I think it might be useful if you just give a a very short headline of actually what is a gender pay gap and what does it look like in the UK? Um, Does it mean men and women get paid not the same?
1: So that's highly topical. (laughs) That's a really good point. Highly topical because the ONS have just published their new 2023 set of gender pay gap figures, which for all employees, full-time and part-time, is 14.3%. I'll come back to that figure in a moment. But in terms of what it means, exactly as you say, Verena, what it doesn't mean, I think, is very important. It doesn't mean that men and women are being paid less for the same job role. And I think that's a really common misconception amongst people and even amongst senior leaders, actually. What the pay gap is, is the difference in the average hourly wage of all men and all women across all job roles in one workplace. So, it's not measuring people being paid differently for the same role. And I should just point out that that is illegal under the Equality Act in the 1970s. So, whilst, yes, it does arise sometimes to tell them that's the type of case we see in the press, that shouldn't be happening. So, what the gender pay gap is, is just looking at that overall trend of women versus men. And, and I see that as... Are women getting the opportunities within that workplace to progress through the ranks? Are they getting equal opportunity to get to those higher salaried positions? And that's why when we're looking at the pay gap as an average of men and women's salaries, those averages should really be, you know, if we're aligning people equally, should, you know, then, be zero, there, there should be no gap, it should be equal. So, I suppose it's about kind of what we might term as vertical segregation. Is there a glass ceiling? Are people able to make it through? There are more connotations to that, but that's kind of the overall impact. But just coming back to the point around the figures, the 14.3, it was 14.4 last year. <laughs> So that's a 0.1 difference. It's it's not great.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. Sadly, and the UK is, I believe, not the worst country for these figures, as well. So it's a global issue. So basically, if we had more women in higher paid roles, mm-hmm. then the gender pay gap might be sorted. I'm simplifying here, but essentially that would be a way to sort it.
1: I think that's the starting point, but you can get situations, and I've got quite a lot of clients in this boat actually, where they do actually have a high representation of women in the upper pay quartiles, sometimes even over 50%, but their bottom pay quartile is dominated by women. So it's actually. The fact that they've got a lot of low-paid women, so retail is a classic example of this, whilst people are able to progress to the top and they've got a lot of women in senior leadership roles, it's actually the lower, the predominance of women in the lower paying job roles that are actually, that's driving the pay gap. And so, that's why I say it can be a bit more, you know, it's not always might be as it seems Whilst I think, you know, the bot that was kind of tweeting pay gap results and then, you know, showing what companies were saying about what they were doing and then tweeting their results, whilst it was highly entertaining, and I see the message that they were giving out, which is, are you walking the walk? You know, you're saying all these wonderful things. Are you doing stuff in practice? I did feel a little pang of compassion for some of my clients because I know there are so many organizations out there who actually have the right attitude and are really trying to do the best they can so I think it's really important to always read the narrative and not just take the number at face value. Mm.
0: So we just did a piece of research and we learned that more than 80% of working mothers do want to progress their careers but it's not happening. When you are advising employers about how to sort I know that you're working with some organizations that do have a big gap at seniority level. What do you advise them? Is there a magic wand? And if yes, please do share it.
1: Kind of my magic wand, and one of the reasons why I think the pay gap isn't closing, is that I think organizations aren't doing enough to get to the bottom of what's actually driving their pay gap in the first place. So their action plans might look brilliant but they may be quite ineffective so and that's really what we're trying to do with our work is that we've before you know when when I started out on this I conducted some market research with HR professionals and people involved in the pay gap process and a startling result for me that came through was that 64% of people involved in pay gap reporting said that they felt the reporting figures alone were meaningless which was quite a surprise because it's quite a lot of time and effort going into it so this really kind of captured my imagination and i kind of realized that yeah if you just say to somebody you know your pay gap's 20% well, what does that mean is that good bad or ugly compared to other people. And how does that tell me what's actually going wrong in my business? It doesn't tell you that. So, what we're trying to do is help companies use the data that they're already sitting on. They're already sitting on all of this golden data. They're just not really utilizing. And we're helping them kind of go into deeper segmentation of that. So, we can say, look, you know, so for example, some people I've worked with, it's been an international team that's been driving their overall pay gap figure. Or, you know, if you have got some rogue manager who's, (laughs) you know, really biased, well, you know, if you look at it across the departments or team by team basis, that might highlight, you know, that issue. Just things like tenure, you know, like you just said about career progression, are people kind of put in a box and not, you know, progress, not asked whether they're still happy in that role and not offered the opportunity to progress. So I think the thing that's really good about data is that to a degree you can't really argue with it. So rather than internally people might be having these conversations about oh well so and so said this or so and so said that or it might you know this might be an issue. If we can use the data in the right way, we can show that it's an issue and then the conversation moves on to more quickly to how can we solve this rather than is there an issue here or not. You know, you've already covered that and highlighted the kind of red flags to to chase down, rather than just generic. then this is my point about generic best practice. Generic best practice is great, but it might not be hitting those specific points in your organisation. You know, things that we've looked at as kind of sales or non-sales team. The sales team have got more measurable performance, have got a much closer pay gap or much lower pay gap then in the non sales team where performance is a lot more kind of subjective according to their managers so data would be my magic wand <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to actually first of all understand what is the issue yeah. here
1: and evidence it yeah mm-hmm.
0: mm. i know that sometimes the issue also lies in part time roles being paid less per hour than full time roles which is linked to part time employees less likely to be in senior roles Have you seen any trends in your analysis of client data of why that's happening?
1: I think that I've certainly seen a lot of senior roles advertised at full-time positions. And, you know, to your listeners, I would say call it out and question it. You know, there's a lot of resource out there. For example, I know working families have done a lot on this, haven't they? And, you know, their strapline of... You know, we talk flexible working and it's just probably very much plays into the work that you do, Verena, about, you know, how can we combine children and career in a modern world, not trying to, you know, replicate how people worked in the past? And I think it is this issue around why are all these senior roles full time? They don't need to be, and maybe they can be broken down, you know, say a marketing role. Can you split it between digital marketing and other forms of marketing or whatever the case may be, or can you strip out mentoring, you know, from a managerial role, which actually is probably more effective done not by management anyway, and focus on something else. Or can you pass down the responsibility of kind of those client relationship roles to your team to give them the opportunity to step up? I think there is an issue with too many senior roles being advertised on a full-time basis and I just think that needs to be called out I completely agree agree.
0: and I think there's a skills gap in job design which then leads to either not enough you know too many people saying well actually this role really can't be done full uh, part-time even though you know that it's been done part-time in other organizations and so Mm. far I have never and I've worked with probably more than 500 working parents through our programs I've never come across a role that I would definitely say you cannot do part-time it's just about how you do it in order to still meet the need and also you know many of our senior leader mentors work in organizations that are actually quite traditional you know law firms finance and so on and actually there are still examples of working four days a week working job shares and so on Mm. so I'm with you is there something from your looking at the data is there something that you're spotting that is the root cause for the senior roles not being advertised as part-time or does that not really come into the gender pay gap data?
1: I'm not seeing it so much in data I think that's more kind of around the action planning but the type of things that you see a lot in data is you know people with longer tenures having a higher pay gap because they're just not progressed and not Perhaps given the opportunity to. Age is a big factor. And that again plays into the ONS kind of UK wide results that found that women over 40 have around a 10% pay gap compared to women under that age that have about a 2% pay gap. So there's a huge difference between, you know, women mm. themselves as well
0: sorry, just to interject there, that one, mm. that really annoys me because I've just turned 40. I'm not happy to hear this at all. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, I think there's something about the time when people have children. So is Absolutely. it now 30 or 31? And so in yeah. your 30s, it's usually on average your mm. child-rearing phase, your intense phase where you have
1: mm. very
0: young kids that take a lot of attention. Where many people do go part-time. And then mm. surprise, surprise, they don't progress at all. Yeah. Sorry, I'm simplifying here, but I feel quite No, you're about it.
1: right. And I think, you know, certainly ONS put it down to the fact that at the point where men are stepping up to those higher paid managerial positions, because you're maybe still part time and the role's full time, it's women missing out of that kind of leap to management at that age where they should be uplifting their salaries, but they're kind of missing out. So I do think the whole topic of career you know it's quite interesting and we spoke about this a short while ago where I said I've just had a light bulb moment and I've just realized that I'm kind of focusing on the pay gap but actually I think the pay gap is just a symptom of the progression gap and the problem is actually the progression gap and this is just an out you know the pay gap is just an output of it so yeah I'm very much aligned with you.
0: There's no excuse for the career progression gap. Sorry, I'm lecturing to the conversion. I will stop in a minute. But there's absolutely (laughs) no excuse because you see people who are progressing. And again, more than 80% of people that we survey said they do want to progress their career. So please don't tell us that it is the parents who are actually just lazy. I mean, I'm not saying people who don't want to progress, that's wrong. But it is people want to progress, but they there are factors, systemic factors that are hindering them. And it is yeah. also not to you know promote our fellowship program, but we see that people yeah. who go through that are progressing. Therefore, you should be able to replicate that. Every organization should use the interventions that we do in, in a relatively simple way throughout our fellowship program that get 60% of them promoted within a year. So I think there's no excuse for the career progression gap.
1: And I think it is about mindset. Has the organization got the right mindset to go, yes? this this can be achieved and sometimes it is the case of you know for your listeners as themselves you know there can be this perception of you know well you know what can I do the organization you know things like that but I think you can do something personally I think you know each and every one of us should call things out so you know and To be honest, I've got to the stage where I can be really blunt about things. You know, I just say, well, you know, again, using data is really effective. So your listeners can use data themselves to say, I've had a look at the data, and in this grade band, there are X many men and X many women. Is there bias going on? Or is there a fundamental training issue? Or women not getting the experience? You know, what's happening here? (laughs) And I think ask those questions. So I don't think it is a case of, yeah, just kind of putting all the blame on the organization cause often it's just a case of, there is a lot of unintentional things and just a case of business as usual. And in, until someone kind of questions something, it's just kind of redoing what we've always done before. So, you know, obviously approach it in the right way, but I do think it's a case of, of speaking up for yourself and also valuing what you do. And if you think, well, I'm equal to someone else and they're being promoted, ask the question. In my mind, I'm equal to this person, so why is it that I'm not being promoted? Actually, don't be scared, I think, of having those conversations because as long as you go about it in the right way – at the very least, it kind of reinforces the point that <laughs> you, are, you are interested in your progression and you're not just happy sitting there, because some people might think you are just happy sitting there and you're not on their radar because they're not aware of that fact. Mm, so just mm. making it really clear, I think, having those clear conversations.
0: I hope the podcast is really useful to you so far. Feel free to let me know with a LinkedIn message if you have any feedback or suggestions. I wanted to have a quick interruption here to invite you to get involved and become part of the real life community of people and working parents at Leaders Plus. One way to do so is if you are a senior leader, someone at director or partner level or above and who have lived experience of combining a big career with young children, I would love it if you would consider applying to be a senior leader mentor to one of our Leaders Plus fellows, are working parents, on our fellowship program. To get involved, you go on leadersplus.org forward slash mentors. Likewise, if you are working parents and would like support from one of those amazing senior leader mentors, then you can do so by applying to join our fellowship program. All the details are on our website. At the moment, applications aren't open yet, but if you register interest, so leadersplus.org forward slash register interest... We will then send you an email once the applications are open. You'll get obviously senior leader mentor, you get a really inspirational, tight knit support group, a small support group of other working parents, and you get structured support and time to think through a world-class facilitator. And also, I'll have a chance to get to know you, hopefully, throughout the program. Any questions or any suggestions, let me know. Also, there are lots of free events on the Leaders Plus website if you want to get involved in those just around 40 percent of the people we surveyed said that they've had comments thinking you know oh you probably don't want to progress your career or something along those lines so you're absolutely onto something there so Mm. obviously organizations are under a lot of pressure with the economic situation as it is Mm. what is your reflection about how well first of all are we vain to just talk about the gender pay gap now and should we just shut up and like basically, have we got a right to still be worried about this? And secondly, how do you get this onto the top agenda of mm. the board members who are maybe not female, who don't think about this on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Because again, what I see a lot of is there's a lot of people who have got the willing, the intent. But once that pay gap reporting reports and figures have been submitted, all these other business priorities take over and the action planning kind of starts slipping down the agenda. And so, I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about this. And my solution is that I think what we need to do is connect pay gap reporting to those higher business priorities. So, for example, sustainability is a key business focus for a lot of organisations. We should connect to that. Now, a lot of people might think about sustainability just purely from an environmental perspective, but we think about it in Barnet Waddingham as people, planet, profit, those three things together. And so the people aspect of it I think is often overlooked and is really important. And that comes back to your point, Verena, about, you know, should we still be championing our voices when there's so many other Things at play. And yes, I think there is, because in order to have a sustainable workforce, we need women to be included in that. We need women's voices to be involved in the decision making for better decision making, for better outcomes that benefits everybody, not just women, the whole organisation and the men (laughs) included in there. So, you know, another thing is linking it to risk management and governance. A lot of people aren't listing their gender pay gaps on their risk management, sorry, their risk registers and things like that. I really think it should be. I mean, we only need to look at what's happened recently with Birmingham City Council. I mean, that wasn't specifically a gender pay gap issue. That was more around the fact that they'd valued women's roles less highly than men and lost the case that they should be being paid equally. Nevertheless.
0: Sorry, can you just say for the people who are not familiar with that, yeah. what was the consequence for for City Well, there City was Council? a huge
1: fine and, you know, that kind of pushed their funding into crisis. But I think the point is, is bringing it back to the gender pay gap, is had they actually spent more time on their gender pay gap? then some of those risks might have been identified at an earlier opportunity and they wouldn't have been in that situation. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't involved in that case. But just to say, if you haven't got your gender pay gap on your risk register and your kind of good governance, then that's something else I'll be linking it to. Because, again, it's just dragging it up the priority. And I think in the past, maybe there's been a bit of a fluffiness attached to it, or it's a nice to have But I think we need to say, no, it can be really detrimental and there can be serious income in financial impacts of running a gender pay gap. You know, an example of that would be, you know, even ourselves, we're seeing tenders coming in now and on that list of qualifying questions is what's your gender pay gap? So, organisations, if they're not on top of this, they're going to start losing tenders, they're going to start not meeting supplier requirements, they're going to not tick the right boxes to access ESG funding. So, it's linking up to all of these, you know, more hardcore, should I say, kind of Mm. financial-based and risk-based business priorities I think is really important to kind of get the message through and and reprioritise gender pay gap mm. and other pay gaps as well.
0: Yeah, highly agree. Bonuses, what have you learned about the impact of bonus inequality on the gender pay gap?
1: I think that's. it's really interesting that you raise that because it's very underreported, isn't it? There's a lot of focus on the pay gap. But the bonus gap can be bigger, very much more sizable. And, you know, what I would like to explore more about in the future as well is kind of share ownership. So, okay, pay is one element, but you've got all of these other things bonus, pension, shareholdings in a business that can be the golden eggs that can be offer so much more value. And and also it comes back to that point about a woman's voice, doesn't it? If all of the share ownership is owned by men and not by women, you haven't got that leverage of your voice being heard in that decision-making as well. So, I really think that's a really important point that, you know, I would like to explore more about. And I'm sure maybe there are others already on that that we can hear more about, but absolutely very important. And just kind of extrapolating that in a slightly different way as well is what I'm very interested in and I've done a lot of work on is looking at the impact of the pay gap. So, again, it's not just the pay gap isn't just a number. It actually has real life consequence to people. And it's about that progression point because if someone's waiting 10 years to be progressed, and to have that pay rise, what's happening to them in the meantime? There's real life consequence there about that lack of income that they could have received otherwise. And that's impacting where they live, you know, what opportunities they're able to offer their children, you know, how much they can pay into their pension, whether they're financially secure and have savings. If they don't, they're gonna be more likely to fall into debt. There's huge implications. So understanding what impact the pay gap has specifically around financial well-being pension savings debt is something that i've talked about a lot because <laughs> mm-hmm. i think it's really important it's turning that number into actually life impact mm.
0: absolutely and the way you're describing it it's crystal clear that the gender pay gap is not a luxury thing if i was a man which i'm not I may feel slightly, I don't know, I I might feel a bit, you know, challenged by the gender pay gap, the focus on gender pay gap reporting and action plans and the effort and resource that goes into it. What do you think is the role of men in this discussion?
1: It's critical and it's fundamental because men are the decision makers (laughs) most of the time, both in terms of policy and process or maybe as our management is. So without their engagement, it's very difficult to make progress. And I think you're absolutely right, Verena, about how men perceive this and how we ourselves engage with them. And actually, I'm just about to conclude some research with Men for Inclusion around male allyship and the findings around that. And there does seem to be some kind of pushback now in terms of, you know, it's we're being kind of penalised. But I think it is about having the conversation in the right way. And what our research has tried to do is to highlight why men who are already involved in male allyship, what they get out of it, both from a business case level But also personally, how are they personally benefiting from it? And I think that's really important because I think if we can understand that and give that information to other people, it will help more men engage in this. But yeah, definitely, I think, you know, it's essential.
0: Interesting. And where do you stand on this tension between women advocating for themselves and at the same time employers having a responsibility to sort out the gender pay gap. What, if anything, is more important out of the two?
1: It's a shame that women have to advocate so much for themselves. But, you know, if we want to see change, we should all step up. So I think advocate for yourself plus organisations do have a responsibility. It should definitely not just be down to women. And again, it links back to What's in it for the business? It's you know moving away from that kind of group think, and you know so many people there's a war on talent that we hear about in the newspapers. Why aren't you tapping into all of this untapped resource? How many women do I know who are working underneath their real potential and skill sets because they're not being offered those high level jobs? as you say, on a full-time, on a part-time basis. So there's so much untapped potential there. So it just makes sense for employers to be accessing this pool of talent.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And you've got, I think you shared with me previously, that you've got some interesting thinking around visibility and the impact that does have on pay and and the challenges around If you do work part time or you work from home and everyone else is going to the office and you're not there, how do you square that with managing your visibility if you're working part time and the want to be at home?
1: I think, you know, it's a massive hot topic, isn't it? Since kind of post pandemic for all hybrid working, it's definitely been a huge kind of drive for people to return to the office. And you know, just bringing in the wellbeing concept, you know, when I was having to be in the office at nine o'clock, dropping my son off at seven am to nursery or whatever, the level of stress and exhaustion that that brought in was just, you know, breaking, to be honest. So, you know, I think employers do need to be a bit more flexible and they get more from people. You know, one lawyer I was talking to was saying, actually our organisation have clocked, that we're actually more productive working from home because we work on a chargeable hours basis and we're working when we would have been commuting. So it's actually increased chargeable hours. So I think there does need to be this more openness in mindset. I think visibility is an issue, and certainly with our pay gap analysis, that's something that we have looked at for people. We've looked at what is the pay of people working predominantly from home versus the pay of people predominantly working in the office. And again, you've got then got that data point to refer back to and say, we believe this is an issue. It's not just kind of hearsay. But from my perspective I don't think there is an issue because, you know, look at us talking now. We're not sitting together. (laughs) I can perfectly well collaborate with you. It is good to have face-to-face, of course, but used wisely, I think. Otherwise, I think you're actually perhaps not being effective just going into the office, particularly, you know, if you can't work and concentrate properly, if there's someone Jabbering, etc. But my top tip for your listeners, I'm conscious of your listeners and being useful. My top tip and how I address this personally myself was I was struggling with this. I knew that I was working really hard and I was doing great things. Other people didn't really know what I was doing. And certainly, my managers didn't know what I was doing. And so, that wasn't really helping my career progression. So, a really simple thing that I adopted at the beginning of this year that's worked really well is I just set up a Microsoft Teams account, that uh, kind of chat, chat group with my line manager and his manager. And so, I just said, All right, just to keep you informed of what I'm doing, setting up this group chat. And then... You know, I just pop into it all the time and just say what I'm working on, what good wins I've had, if I want to flag their input or attention or decision making that I want from them. That goes into it as well. And it's worked really well because without being onerous – and demanding a weekly meeting with them or something when everyone's busy, just at a flash, they can continually see what I'm doing. And all it needs is a thumbs up or a smiley face or an acknowledgement. So it's worked really well for them because it's not onerous for them, but they can be completely up to date with what I'm doing. I'm conveying it without it being because before my only way of doing it would have been to have said in team meetings, Oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And you don't want to play your own trumpet and being annoying to everyone else. So in private, I can just say this is what I'm working on without feeling that I'm overemphasizing myself. And also from a kind of performance management perspective, when I have to fill in that box of what have you done this year, oh it's awful isn't it I think we've all been in that boat where you think what have I done I know I've done loads but I just can't think of it you can just look back at that record and just pull it all up so Mm, that's been a real win for me
0: I love such a practical really
1: simple but really really good win
0: thank you so much that's an amazing practical tip and if an employer hears this and they say well actually no we want to close this gender pay gap we're serious about it What would be one simple five-minute thing they could do this week to get started?
1: You know, I think it is about looking more into your data. That data is already there at your fingertips. Look more into your data and talk to your women. A lot of organizations don't know what barriers women face because they haven't asked the question. Mm. You know, your women know that and they probably also know the answer to solving that. So... Look at your data and actually open up listening channels, I think, are my two things. And also, the third thing is is just to engage with – there's so many people like you and I and Fawcett and Working Families and Member Inclusion. There's so many people working on this. Reach out to us. You know, we've got all the research. We've got all the insights. You're not the only one take the help that's available and, you know, go to events, join in, force it, have their employer kind of network groups. You know, you've got all the work that you do. I would just say, just engage with all of this stuff and it will be fun because you meet wonderful people. That's how we met, you know. Mm-hmm. You do meet other people that share your interests and your outlooks and it's really great to just be in connection with them that's you true, so much that's very true
0: actually we have met in person I just realized now which is quite <laughs> funny <laughs> you're one of the few people I have met in person so was there anything else that you definitely wanted to share with the listeners or have we covered what you wanted to say oh
1: I think we've talked about quite a lot yeah I think just for people is just value your work. and the other thing is the other top tip I'd say is I think a lot of people fall into the trap of feeling that the harder they work, the more they give, finally they'll be recognised. And I think sometimes you just need to be a bit more honest and go, am I ever going to be recognised? Because you don't want to work somewhere for 10 years and not get anywhere. Maybe pull the plug sooner. Don't just rely on, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to do more, I'm going to be better. Don't put it all on yourself. Just check in with how realistic is the environment around you and make a change if it isn't. And then the other thing would be to not be afraid to carve out your own role. And that's kind of what I did. And it was actually due to a mentoring session I had a long time ago (laughs) with someone who said, well... You know, if you don't feel you can succeed in your current role because there's so many other full-time competitors or, you know, too many men involved above me that I wasn't going to make it through, just carve out your own role. And I think that little seed of thought stayed in my head. And then an opportunity arose where we were talking about how else can we use, you know, all our data analytical and actuarial skill sets. And I thought, aha, Mm. (laughs) I don't want to just talk about this in the pub. I want to take action. And we do have the skill sets to do that. And so I kind of put forward a business case to do gender pay gap reporting. So I think for your listeners, I'd just say, don't be afraid to maybe think about what are your passions? How can you contribute? Maybe you don't need to just follow the curve. Maybe there is something different that you can do or suggest. I mean, what's the harm of suggesting it?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely thank you so much for this inspirational conversation. Where can people find more about your work, more about you?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn, Melissa Blissett, or you can look up Barnett Waddingham and look up Gender Pay Gap Analytics. And hopefully you'll find me through those channels. But thank you, Verena, for spending the time to talk to me because I find your work is so inspirational. Certainly when I was a young parent, this kind of support and the fellowships that you do, etc., just wasn't available. So it's just brilliant to have all of these developments. No, your work is so inspirational. So it's great to connect with you.
0: Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening today. I always love hearing from listeners. So if you've listened and enjoyed it, please do connect with me on LinkedIn. I would really enjoy to hear what you thought of the show. I always love having podcast listeners join the fellowship program or getting involved in other ways. So if you're interested in that, then please sign up on leadersplus.org forward slash register interest and we'll keep you in the loop when the applications open again. And thank you so much to all the listeners who've taken time to share the podcast with friends or to rate it on your podcast listening app. In the last few weeks, the podcast listener numbers have really gone up and that's quite important because at the moment podcasting is still an area that is really dominated by men especially if you look at the top charting podcasts they're often led by men and I think it just shows that there's another area where we have to push through and create greater equality and so thank you so much for sharing it and trying to uh, I guess give voice to a woman-led podcast I really appreciate it see you next week